0: Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you would like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. and grab your Bibles or devices, turn to Matthew chapter 4, continuing our series through the fulfillment statements of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Brandon. I know you are back there. And our fulfillment statements that Matthew makes in the book of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is where we'll be uh, this morning. For many of you, it's a familiar passage. Uh, it's been known as the temptation of Jesus. And on the screen right now are all the scriptures I'm going to use today. So cancel your lunch plans and we're just going to be here. Uh, Here's all the scripture for today. We're going to reference some of it quickly. There's a lot to move through, but I think we have to. I think we have to hit um, all of this here today. Uh, Middle schoolers, we have note sheets for you. Micah and Kristen worked hard on note sheets. So middle schoolers, you want to raise your hand all around here. We've got sheets for you to take notes uh, because I don't know, I I know I don't teach as good as Micah does. And so he's got, these are ways for you to learn, to take some notes and study along with us this morning. Um, Also ways to give you something to talk about in small group instead of, I don't know. Ugh, I don't care. I don't know. So this should be helpful for you. All right, uh, and from now on, parents and middle schoolers, it'll be on our student ministry table. And the, at, uh, on each Sunday, we'll be out there. A lot of things out there for our students uh, this morning. All right, are we good? All right, let me just address something from last week. Um, I want to make sure I'm clear on what I was saying last week. I want you to know I was in no way saying that at the baptism of Jesus is where he literally took all of our sins and and paid for all of them. I believe that happened at the cross. I want to be clear that I'm saying it's at the cross, but the baptism uh, was a symbolic representation of what would happen at the cross. I just want to be clear on that. There's no misinterpretation. Um, I know that I don't always speak most clearly, so I want to make sure I'm clear on that before we move forward this morning. All right, Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read through these 11 verses. You're familiar with, uh, most of you are probably familiar with this passage. But what I want to do is come back through and pick it apart. There's a lot. We're going to spend a lot of time in verse 1. Then we're going to move through, uh, move through it here this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we're at dinner, which is our family at home. We're eating dinner and Landry, our youngest, she's six, has had a lot of questions about salvation and baptism and is asking questions. And so we're, we're walking in this with her just pointing out to her, listen, the way you know that you're, you got, that you're following Jesus is the Holy Spirit leads you to conviction. There's conviction, the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that he convicts you of sin. And she just sits there quietly and we're all, all five of us are eating and she just looks up and she says, if that devil tells me to steal something, I'm going to tell him to go to hell. I'm like, be cool, man. Just be cool. Like, be cool. So I take a deep breath. I look up and Colton's eyes are wide open like, can, we can say that now? We can say that? Can we say that? Because I'm all in. If I can say that, I'm doing it. Cason's about to weep. He can't believe his sister is so vile and disgusting that she would just say that. I look at Meredith and we can't. And we're like, oh don't laugh. Just don't laugh. But as I, was, as I was studying, it hit me like how, what precise theology is that though? Like from my six-year-old, I was like, no, 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 man, not here. You can go back to where you came from. So I'm studying this week. I'm like, God, how gracious of you to teach me this passage through my six-year-old before I even got here. So this passage this morning, it's, it's layered full of truth and wisdom for us. So I want us to be sure to get all that's in there. So I'm going to teach a little bit differently than I think I normally would, but I, there's a lot in here, All right. So let's go after it together. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Again, we're going to spend a lot of time here in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a, a similar account of this moment. We call it the temptation of Jesus, the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. And Mark, the word that he uses instead of then is immediately. And so Matthew and Mark both lay this immediately following the baptism of Jesus. And I think that's on purpose. Remember, Matthew is a Jewish author writing a Jewish letter to Jewish people about a Jewish Messiah. So his entire point of his book is he is who you've been looking for. And he's the one, man. He is the one. and So he uses, leverages this account in comparison to Matthew 3, the baptism of Jesus. So we got to look at this in context. What is the then? Where's the then from? Well, he had just been baptized. And Matthew told us in chapter 3, verse 16, here's how it went down. When Jesus was baptized, when he was immersed in the water, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Holy Spirit. You can circle that, make it, draw a line from that back into chapter four, verse one. The Spirit descended like a dove and came to rest on him. Now that word rest in the Greek, it, it means it continued to rest on him. From that point forward, the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. A whole lot of theological gymnastics we can do there, but he rested on Jesus. At that moment. And then verse 17, and behold, a voice came from heaven declaring, saying, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. So there's this moment at the inauguration of the messianic ministry of Jesus. His, his ministry of actually bringing people to salvation has begun here at his baptism. He's ordained essentially as the next high priest. It's all happening right here. And there's this beautiful moment. And then immediately he is led into the wilderness. So I want you to pay attention to the context. This happens immediately. And you know exactly what that feels like. Because you've gone to a conference, you've sat in a church service, you've, had, you've maybe led a child, one of your children to know Jesus, and it's amazing. And you've sat in a church service and you've been compelled by the Holy Spirit and you walk out to your car and your car won't start. Have you experienced that before? You walk out to your car and you can't go anywhere. You walk out to your car and you get a phone call about some devastating news. Does that happen to you? You understand this moment. There's this moment of great glory and power of God. And then it's like the rug is pulled out from under you. This is what's happening. Immediately, he is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We have to get this context right to understand what's happening. And it teaches us real quick off the top. It teaches us very quickly who God is teaches us quickly about the character of God. But back into verse one, I wanna make sure we understand um, a few things that are happening here. Jesus was led up by the Spirit, up out of the water into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I wanna focus first on the last word, the devil. The Greek word there is diabolos. And the idea there is somebody who throws you through or throws back. It's The idea is a slanderer, someone who makes false accusations. And maybe you can understand, if you've had a false accusation made about you, it throws you back into a moment. It throws you back. That's the idea. The word that Jesus used and most of the gospel writers use when they talk about this creature of evil is the word devil, diabalos. It's it's this. He's he's an accuser. He's a false accuser, a slanderer. So we have to do some work here. Because in our culture, we kind of run away from stuff like this. We run away from this idea of some otherworldly kind of things happening. And so much so that in pop culture, we've built the idea of a devil to be something we dress up as at Halloween. We build it as an idea of a red guy with a pitchfork and a long spiky tail and horn. That's who the devil is for many of us. That's the idea. Or if you watch the Flintstones, he's the one on the right shoulder and then there's a good one on the left shoulder. That, that's who the devil is. And so what's happened now is now we have started to believe in some fantasy version of the devil. So either we think too little of him, oh, that's, come on, that's just characterization, that's not really true, or we make too much of him, we make him all-powerful. He is neither of those, but we have to address the fact that he is real. The devil is real. And you can trace this journey throughout Christian history, particularly in the way that Christian artists depicted the devil. So I want to show you a few things, and we're going to talk a bit about how Jesus saw the devil. So here's, here's the first picture. This is from the Basilica. And you see here is the temptation of Jesus. It's from Venice, St. Mark's Basilica. And you see that devil here is portrayed. And you can't see it real, real great here. But if you get up close, you see he's a scaly, reptilian, slimy kind of creature, which makes sense, right? That's right, from what we know of him. And he's got wings. And you see the three temptations, I think, in, in this one. He's bringing him a, a bucket of baseballs to try to tempt him. And then he's uh, taken him, but then you see down at the end, he's thrown off. This is where he's thrown off. It's the end of the temptation. But he's scaly, he's slimy, he's got these wings, he looks reptilian, just really creepy. So back in, I mean, hundreds of years ago, this was kind of the understanding of what the devil looked like. So this is their understanding of what he would have been like in, when he was depicted. A few hundred years later, Sandro Botticelli created a new painting in a new style of the temptation of Jesus. And here he is on the temple and you see Jesus with his glowing steering wheel behind him. And then you've got this monk, this Jesus, right? So this this devil now is portrayed and he looks more human. You see his hands? His hands are more human. He's kind of leaning, talking to Jesus. But if you notice, you can't really see his feet are still that reptilian clawed kind of thing. That's still happening there. But here's what I think is most fascinating. From about the early 1400s on, Whenever church artists would depict the devil, he would be dressed like a monk. It's like the Christian world is beginning to understand, yeah, yeah, he might be evil, but he masquerades as good. There's this understanding, man. He's not the red guy with the pitchfork and the horns. He's a creature of evil, masked and masquerading around as a creature of good. And this is what's so dangerous about him. It'd be one thing for you to see the reptilian flying creature, like, ah, I'm not going to deal with that. You know to run. But when a monk comes up to you, like when he looks faithful and true and an honest follower, that's, that's when it gets a little more discouraging for us. So the truth for us is I, we need to take this devil seriously. We need to take the accuser seriously. John Mark Comer in Live No Lies says if you take Jesus seriously, you must take the idea of the devil seriously as well. And I believe most of us today would say, yeah, I take Jesus seriously, well then then we're going to have to address the enemy here. We're going to have to address the fact that there's a devil, there's an accuser, a false accuser, a slanderer who is after us. And one way for us to know that we can take him seriously is that Jesus took him seriously. The bulk of Jesus' ministry was against this devil. He refers to this devil constantly. He's casting out demons. He's speaking uh, curses against the devil. This is, this is who Jesus is. And it's so much so that in Acts chapter 10, when the apostle Peter is going to uh, give a synopsis of the ministry of Jesus to the Gentiles, here how, here's how he describes Jesus. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, we just saw that, and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed or overpowered by the devil. So how does Peter, in a one-sentence synopsis, give us the description of Jesus' ministry? Oh, he fought the devil and he won. That's who Jesus is. Jesus did good and he fought this devil and he won. So, if Peter's going to do this, then we got to ask some questions. Well, then who is the devil? What is he like? We don't know much scripturally about his origin story. And I know you want to twist things and make it some fantasy story, but we don't know much. The Bible doesn't give us much as far as how this all happened. And I think that some of that's intentional. Like, right, the point for us is to understand how Jesus handles evil, not necessarily to know where it comes from, but that we have someone fighting it on our behalf. And so how does Jesus describe the devil? Well, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he calls him the thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So the first thing for us to know about the devil is he has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. He has not come to give you life. That's Jesus. The devil has no interest in helping you to flourish in this life or in the one to come. His main interest is killing you from the inside out, emotionally, spiritually, physically, what the devil wants to do is steal joy, kill you, and destroy all that's left in your wake. This is what he wants to do. Jesus himself calls him a thief who only has this one intention. And speaking to the religious leaders in John chapter eight, Jesus says, you are of the, your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a thief and he's a murderer and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. For when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when Jesus speaks about this devil, he says, yeah, he is who he always has been. Genesis 3. He's always been a liar. He's always been an accuser. He's always been trying to steal, kill, and destroy. This is who he is. So before we can study Matthew 4, we're going to have to address the fact that we have to deal with the devil. He's real, this creature of evil, not equal with God and yet still a creature of evil. All the evil in the world, we have to deal with this devil, which makes chapter 4, verse 1 even more confusing. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for the purpose of. It's not like the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, like, oh man, the devil's here. I didn't see that coming. I would have taking you a different way. To be tempted. So again, we're going to have to shift some boxes in our mind, some paradigms. I don't know that you have a box in your mind for the fact that there's a Holy Spirit who would lead you into the wilderness. And yet here he is. And yet here he is. Led by the Spirit into the same Spirit that rested on Jesus at his baptism. This beautiful moment. Spirit's now leading him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this word "tempted" for us is a little bit confusing. It's the Greek word "perazzo," and it's a good it's a good word. And it's translated for many of us here in our translations as "tempted." The issue is the English word "tempted" is too finite for us, really. What the word means is to test. It's a testing. It's to test in order to reveal truth or the truth about someone. This is the idea of this word "perazzo." He led him into the wilderness to be perazzoed by the devil to be tempted. But we say test, it's because uh, no one ever tempts you to do good. Man, I, I was really tempted to encourage my wife today, but thank God I ran from that temptation. <laughs> so when we read temptation, we think only in regards to evil. But the gross understanding, the huge, the holistic understanding, is it's a test in order to reveal truth. And we all know this about tests. Teachers, you understand this about tests. Oftentimes, tests reveal if your students are actually doing the work they tell their parents they are doing, don't you? When, when teachers give students a test, the point, hopefully, is to discern their knowledge, to, to reveal what they know about a particular subject. And some of us are really good about cramming for eight hours and then knowing it for 12 hours, and then we forget it. But the whole point of a test is to reveal truth, the truth about something or someone or about what we know. So I think it helps us here to understand the rest of the book of Matthew, this word, peirazzo, is translated Test. Jesus uh, is put to the test by the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus uh, asked them why they are testing him. This is, this is the word, perazzo. So maybe for you, let's just expand the understanding of it's a test. Not necessarily temptation, though it's part of it, but it's bigger than that. So he led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. So if testing is revealing truth, now the question is, well, who needed the truth revealed? Did Jesus need that revealed? Like, did it need to be revealed to him that he is the Son of God? Some scholars say yes. Some would say yeah. As he grew in wisdom and stature, he actually grew in his understanding of who he was and that he needed this. Some scholars say, no, 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 this was actually uh, for you and me, so that we would know who Jesus is, that we would see him as the one who succeeded in the wilderness, even though Israel did not, that we would see him as the one who overcame temptation, overcame the devil, that we would see that. And then some would say, actually, it's for us, or it's for, um, for the devil to know. So that he would know, listen, this, isn't, this guy isn't like Adam. He's not, not like Moses or Abraham. This guy doesn't give in to you. So devil, you can know that the Savior is here. He's come. The game's over. He's here. I think the answer is yes. I think all of them. I can see bits of all of them. But I think scripturally where the most evidence is for us is that I think Jesus, I think it's for us. I think it's for us. I think it's for us to see something because you've got to think about this. He's by himself in the wilderness. There's no paparazzi. There's no one following him. There's no one telling the story. There's no documentary for Netflix. It's just him. Which means then that he had to come back and tell people this story. And there are some stories, right? If your grandparents, there are some stories they tell you that they feel like are important. Like, I don't know that that matters to me right now. Then there's some about how they walked uphill to school in the snow every day and how that's supposed to matter to you? Well, Jesus has decided this story, this account matters. And it matters for generations because he's told his people, his followers, you need to write this one down. I need to tell you this one, this one matters. And Matthew thought it was so important that he put it here at the beginning. He put it right here after the baptism of Jesus. This is where he feels like we need to be studying this. I believe Jesus knows why. The Revelation is just the story of all sorts of vision that John has. He has this vision of what's coming. and He has a vision of Christmas. But his vision of Christmas is a lot different than yours and mine. His involves dragons and blood and all sorts of things. But he has this vision of a woman and an offspring. And the woman gives birth to an offspring. And in in Revelation, Satan is referred to, the devil is referred to as a dragon, the dragon. And so the dragon is coming after this woman and her son, her firstborn, her son. But the son and woman escape into safety because they're covered by God. They escape into safety. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, we read, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And who are they? Well, they are those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So who is the dragon after now? You and me. That's who he's after. So why would Jesus make sure this story was told? Why did Matthew care to lead this story to us? Because there's a devil. And he realized he couldn't get the son, and so now he's after you and he's after me. And this devil is who he is. He's the father of lies, an accuser, and an adversary. And so as we read Matthew chapter four, yes, this is about Jesus revealing who he is to us. And I think even more, not even more, but I think also it's about the devil revealing who he is to us so that we might know how to fight the enemy. Because this dragon, this serpent, he stopped chasing Jesus because Jesus won, but he knows that you and I, were still vulnerable. And so he's coming after us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry, as you would be. Actually, you and I would be dead, but Jesus is hungry. So 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting in the wilderness, and he is hungry. It's crazy here that he uses the word 40 and talks about a wilderness because I've already spoiled all of this for you, but here's our chart. This is Jesus living out the better Israel. He's gone through the journey to Egypt. He's met the oppressive king killing children. He was called God's son coming out of Egypt. He was baptized. He went through the waters, and now he's spending 40 days in the wilderness. Matthew is, again, making it clear, this Jesus is doing what Israel could not do. This Israel, this Jesus, will be in the wilderness facing the same enemy, and yet he will win. But I want you to notice he's hungry, and then verse three, and the tempter, the tester, Came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And so here, the devil attacks Jesus in a moment of weakness. Isn't that how he works? It's often in your weakest moments that the devil attacks you. When you're just spent, for me, it's when I'm spent physically and emotionally, it's where I'm most vulnerable to the enemy. There's something in my heart that needs to be filled up emotionally. And when that's drained, I am vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. But what's crazy here is that we would say, yeah, Jesus is hungry, and so he asked him about the thing about bread. I want us to stop and actually read the words that are being said here. Read the words. The tempter begins with, if you are the Son of God. Not since you are, why don't you turn these into bread? He says, if you are. So here's what's happening. The devil has uh, met Jesus in the wilderness at a state of weakness and said, listen, if you were really the son of God, would you be out here in the wilderness? Would you be hungry? Like if, if you are the son, if, if he really loves you, is this where you'd find yourself? Like if God really thought that you were his beloved son, if you're so beloved, what have you been doing out here for a month and a half not eating all by yourself? Isn't that how the enemy works for you and for me, though? If you're really a son or a daughter of God, then why? Why why do you have cancer? If you're a son or a daughter of God, why are you wrestling with that anxiety? It must mean he doesn't love you. I know you thought you were beloved, but here's the question. If you're so beloved, why would God allow you to be out here so vulnerable? Why would you struggle with that? Why would that have happened to you? Why would that have taken place? This is what the accuser does. He meets us in our moment of weakness and he knows exactly where to go. And it's not the hunger, it's the heart. And he begins to make us question, now you know, that's right. Because God says he loves me and yet my marriage is about to fall apart. God says he loves marriage and yet here I am. God says he cares for me and I can't pay my bills. You know what, you might be onto something, tempter. This is the question. I think it's what he's trying to get at with Jesus. If you're really him, What are you doing out here? Why are you out here? Then the question is, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Are you sure that you're his son, and are you sure that he is as good as he says that he is? Are you sure? Tim Mackey, a pastor and author, says the devil tries to undermine Jesus' identity by pointing out Jesus' circumstances. This is what he does, man. Like, he's done it for you. He's done it this week for some of you. you are who you think you are, then why is God treating you like this? Why did you get that result? Why did that tree fall there? Why did you lose your job? Why did this happen? So the enemy is always trying to direct us to our circumstance, which is what he did with Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. She's got hundreds of trees to eat from. And all the enemy has to do is draw her attention to the one. Say, man, if God was actually for you, he'd let you have all of this. What's his problem? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Verse four, but Jesus answered him, it is written. What's the the response by Jesus' scripture? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's where it gets a lot of fun. This is from Deuteronomy chapter eight, where Moses is recounting the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. Deuteronomy eight, two, you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Here's your connection that he might humble you, then it gets even worse, testing you, that you would know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So one layer that's happening here is that Jesus is proving he is a better Israel. He can win in the wilderness. Where Israel failed, Jesus wins. But also he's drawing us back to Genesis 3, where humanity failed under the temptation of the devil, Jesus will prove himself to be victorious. But the question for me is, well, what what word is Jesus referring to? Because God has said a lot of words. Well, again, context, context, context. Context is king here. Matthew 3, 17. Jesus being baptized. He's raised up from the water. And behold, a voice from heaven. That sounds like words of God, Yes said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So when the enemy says, are you sure? Jesus says, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because he just said it. Because he just said it. Are you sure you're his son? Because the circumstances make it seem like maybe you're not. No, 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 man. He just said it to me. I am his beloved son, and he's pleased with me. How does Jesus fight the enemy trying to move him to his circumstances? Well, he quotes the truth that God has said about him. So I wanna help us here this morning. Here's truth for you. Romans chapter eight, verse 14. All who are led by the spirit are sons of God and sometimes that spirit leads you into the wilderness. But you're a son, a child of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Intimate, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. So when the tempter comes to you and says, are you sure? Because in this wilderness that you're in, in this marital wilderness, and this parenting wilderness, and this financial wilderness that you're in, are you sure? Because it doesn't seem like a God who loves would allow you to do this. Yeah, I know, because I can call him Abba and I am a child of the Most High. How does Jesus handle the accusation, the slander against his identity? Well, he quotes the very words of God to him, and I think it behooves us to do the same thing. What has God said about you? Not what did your dad say about you, not what did your grandpa, what did that coach say about you, what does God say about you? If the Spirit is leading you, you are his. You can call him Abba, Father. Our circumstances do not define who God is. God defines who God is. and He is our Father, and he's a good one. Matthew 4, verse 5, the devil then took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And I love this. So the devil's like, oh, you want to talk word of God? I got word of God for you. So he takes from the pinnacle of the temple. He says, hey, listen, if you are the son of God, you you know what Psalm 91 says, right? So he tells Jesus, you know what Psalm 91 says? Psalm 91 says that God protects those who take refuge in him. So here's the question. You think you're the son of God, you think you've taken your refuge in him, prove it jump off of this because you know what your bible says here's the problem for most of us the, the devil knows the bible more than we do so when he starts quoting scripture you're like, ah, oh, man, you you might be onto something." He starts quoting scripture, start talking about how God is love and so therefore, you know, love is love, man. You're like, "Yeah, that makes a lot of sense." he starts drawing us in by the twisting of scripture again he cannot create he can only manipulate so the tactic of the enemy is hey Jesus I know scripture too I know Psalm 91 if you take refuge in him he'll protect you and what you're telling me is you've taken refuge in him let's test it let's see let's see if you can and so while yes I think we should defend um, our identity with scripture man you gotta know what scripture you're talking about you better know because the enemy will poke holes in that scripture all day long. And I love Jesus' response here. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The enemy is so good. The devil is so good about taking scripture and twisting it. And when he's done with Psalm 91, this beautiful poem about how God protects us, how he's faithful to protect us, is he's flipped it on its head and he said, so listen, listen. You only know God loves you if you're safe and protected. The way it comes out in our culture today is you only know God protects you if you're healthy and wealthy. That's how you know. Let's put him to the test. Let's see. And then Jesus responds with, listen, I I love that you know Psalm 91, um, but I know it all. I got all of it. So now he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, fitting. It's here, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's here that Israel is frustrated of being in the wilderness. They can't believe God led them out into the wilderness. Can't believe he parted the Red Sea and brought them manna from heaven. Can't believe how bad it is. Can't believe this water is bitter. And it's there that God says, you shall not put me to the test. And so Jesus says, listen, I I know that you know scripture, but I think you need to know all of it. I'm not falling for it. I'm not gonna put him to the test. I know, I know that I know he's kept me safe. So then verse eight, the devil tries again. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you just fall down and worship me. Do you notice what's missing from this temptation? If you are the son of God, do you notice that? It's almost as if the devil's like, all right, so I'm not gonna get him with that one. So he knows that. He knows who he is. So the attack now is not on who Jesus is, but how he's going to get there. So if Jesus knows he's the son of God, it means he knows he's the king of all kings. It means he knows at the end of days he gets all of it. Uh, The enemies will be his footstool, he'll reign over all of it. And so now the enemy is saying, all right, listen, if I can't change your identity, here's what I can do. I can challenge you on how you want to get there. And so he takes them on top of this mountain and says, all of these kingdoms are mine. And you'll notice Jesus doesn't argue with, no, they're not, they're mine. They're not yours because truthfully, at this point in history, we learn that Satan, the devil, is the kingdom of this earth or is the king, the prince of this earth. This is his. And so what he's offering is his. Here's the problem. Everything the devil touches has evil in it. And if you don't think the kingdoms of the earth today are the devil's, you're not paying attention. I mean, infiltrated with evil on every level. And I don't care if you're red or blue, it's evil. Evil, manipulation, lying, deceit. And that's just in America. You go to other countries, it's awful. And so what is being offered to Jesus is, hey, listen, I'm want, I know where you're going. Let me help you get there faster. Let's just do it my way. Like, I know that you know what God's promised to you. So let's do it my way and I'll help you. All you need to do is worship me. All you gotta do is give your allegiance to me. He makes it sound so simple, doesn't he? That's all you got to do. So, studying, there are some modern day commentators who compare this vision that Jesus is having of kingdoms of the world to social media. In a way that you and I can pull out your phone right now, it's a very high place where you can see all the kingdoms of the world, you can see everything you want. You see a happy marriage, you see a thriving sex life, you see um, beautiful, well-mannered children, you see vacations, you see money, you see all of it. And the whole while the enemy is saying, you want it? It's mine, man, I can help you. Let's just do this my way. It's as if he's saying, listen, I know that God has told you that he loves you and he has great plans for you, thus says the Lord. But that's going to take a while, man. Like, I think it's like 70 years in Jeremiah. What if we just did this in like a week? Like, what if I helped you? Like, doesn't God want you to have a happy marriage? Well, let me help you get there. Doesn't God want you? I mean, I know you're really struggling with being single. Don't you want to be married? Listen, this guy you're dating, just move in. It's the same thing. I'll get you there quicker. Start sleeping together. Test it out. Aren't you you struggling with the infertility and not having kids? Listen, I I can help you, man. I can just, give it to me. Give the allegiance to me. I'm gonna help you. Aren't you struggling with that addiction? Listen, I I can help. Are you struggling with being lonely? Pull out your phone, man. Like, I can help. You wanna have a wife that you can be intimate with? You don't need that. I can get you intimacy right now on your computer. Let's just do that. So now the enemy has now shifted away from, hey, if you are the son of God, okay, I see well, listen, I'm gonna help you get there. Just do it my way. And it's here we see a side of Jesus that a lot of us don't like to admit is there. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now this word Satan is not a name. It's actually an Aramaic term that means adversary or someone who stands against. He says, be gone, you're in my way. You're an adversary to me, and you know what Scripture says. So worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus is now coming face to face with this devil, and he sees the demonic way in which he's working. And he is appalled to think that the devil would think he would fall for that. As if Jesus would give in to some sort of evil to accomplish it. No, 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 no. Get away from me, Be gone. This isn't a one-time occurrence. Jesus says the same thing and the same kind of idea in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus has been preaching the gospel. He's ministering to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You don't have to suffer Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Be gone. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I want you to recognize the passion in Jesus' tone, both here in Matthew 16 and in Matthew chapter 4. That an adversary would say, you're just here. You're just here for the kingdom's. As if Jesus is here for the crown, but not for the cross. And Jesus understands listen, man, the way to my crown is through the cross. I'm not falling for it. I will suffer. I will. And I'm going to invite my followers into it too. There's no quick fix for this. But isn't this what the devil does for us? He attempts to undermine the entire ethic of the kingdom of God one compromise at a time as a way to avoid suffering. Like, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's these small decisions we make of compromise where the enemy says, listen, I, I'm sure God wants you to be wealthy. Like, he wants you to have a successful business. the a good testimony in the world. So why don't you just work today instead of going to church? Just do that. We'll get there quicker. You'll get what God wants for you. Let's just do that and then it's one lord's day and then the next lord's day and then you're 3 months away and haven't opened your bible in months or he says listen it's it's just a one night stand like it's not that big of a deal it's just a text it's just a flirt come on god wants you to be happy he wants you to be satisfied it's just cheating one time on a test it's just one plagiarism it's just one word you say about a teacher or a boss, just one, the whole time the devil is saying, I got you now, I got you. Then verse 11, the devil left him. Jesus says, be gone, and the devil obeys, behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What I love here in this passage and what I've read over and over again throughout this week, is a guy who says that every time the forces of evil show up to fight Jesus and the rest of the Gospels, they wear the faces of defeat. From this moment on, the enemy comes, his minions come, and they're cowering in fear. That, he's here? Jesus is here? I'm out. I'm out. Because there's this moment. So here's for us. I think this is just discipleship of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Being a, a disciple of Jesus means walking in the wilderness. Sometimes it means we're led there by the Spirit. If you bought into the lie that in following Jesus your life would get easier, how's that going for you? Is that going well? If you would just follow Jesus, you won't have pain, you'll be more carefree, you'll find less sorrow in the world, I'm gonna be honest, the more that I give my heart to Jesus, the more sorrow I have, the more my heart breaks, The more I'm concerned, the more I grieve, the more I'm hurting. The more I follow Jesus, I find more wilderness, not less. And this is the promise of Matthew 4. I think Jesus told this story to his followers. Matthew passed it on to you and to me because the father of lies is still after the sons and daughters of God. And we need to know how he's coming because the voice still sounds the same. Listen, if... If he really loved you, if you are a son or daughter of God, if that's actually true. Voices like, he said he'll protect you, man, just give it a shot. Just try. There's grace. Voices that say, oh, he wasn't there for you? Well, then he must not be who he says that he is. And you must not be who he says that you are. Voices like, well, the Bible doesn't actually say or What it should read is, the truth is this enemy is after us today. And the response for the children of God is you can go to hell. That's the response. Be gone from me. Be gone. You have no business with me. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High. And in fact, I've learned that all the powers and principalities of evil have lost their power. You got nothing on me unless I give it to you. You got nothing. So I got a Jesus who overcame temptation in the wilderness, who, who defeated sin and death on the cross and rose to victory. Yeah, I'm gonna be fine. And I can call him Abba. You've got no business questioning whether or not he loves me. He loves me. And in his great love for me, I found myself here in the wilderness first thing we have to do is know that our our identity is secure in him. Your circumstances don't determine the goodness of God. He determines his goodness. And you're his, so you're good. When the enemy comes and tries to twist scripture, we gotta know scripture, we gotta know it. And we gotta know that you don't have to test God. He's proven over and over and over again who he is. He parted waters. He brought manna from heaven. He brought water from a rock. He has uh, broken wide the, the gates of heaven. He has paid for your sin. He's risen from the dead. He's healed the blind. He's helped you pay your mortgage. He's, he's helped raise your children. He's helped heal the marriage. You have enough. There's nothing left to be proven. He is who he says that he is. And then finally, if the devil tries to begin to tempt us to accomplish God's means through the world's ways, we said, mm-mm-mm, you can take that back to hell. It doesn't belong here. You're in my way. I'm a child of the Most High, and I've been given a mission by the King. You are in my way. Get out of the way. The truth for us today, church, is that the devil is real, and he's after us. But we know how he works. He's a liar. He's a liar. And He's only after our death and never after our life. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes as Brandon comes up? Again, I don't know where you find yourself here today, but I do know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And for some of us, we've made compromises over a long period of time. And we don't know how to get out. We've given in to the ways of the enemy to fulfill what we thought was a godly desire. And now we've found ourselves far from God, far from church, far from his people. Here's the beauty of Matthew chapter four. Jesus beat the devil, so you just have to walk in it. And there's a way back. There's a way back. The devil will try to lie to you and say, there's no hope, man. You're stuck here now. You've done it now. You might as well enjoy it. I'm going to tell you, you won't enjoy it no life to be found the enemy doesn't care about your life he cares about your death and it will be a slow rotting death so the invitation of Jesus is to come back while the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy Matthew or John 10 10 continues but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full so come back to life that devil you're wrestling with that enemy that's after you you need to know he's a wounded warrior already been defeated he's got nothing on you You're a child of God. So come back. Come back. Come back to life. Come back to flourishing. Come back to it. I know you're ashamed and embarrassed that you bought the lies of the enemy. Trust me, I get it. Trust me. And I'm inviting you to repentance. May not get you out of the wilderness, but it's gonna get you away from that one. Turn to Jesus I challenge you to know the word of God know what you're saying when you're saying it know who you are because of who he is like in your gut know it and have the courage to remind the devil where he came from remind yourself that God is faithful to protect those who take refuge in him you're okay Let's come back to living again. Some of us this morning, what's happened is the enemy has worked uh, to bring us into this temptation, to bring us into dark shame and sin. And the way out is by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That's salvation. That's new life. That's rescue. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the one who came to rescue. That you're a sinner who needs that. And you'll find life there. You'll find new life there. You give your heart to Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the r- realness of it, the authenticity of it. I thank you that in John chapter 16, before you were arrested and taken to the cross, you prayed for us. And you prayed not to take us out of the world, out of the wilderness, but that while we were here, you would protect us from the evil one. So God, I'm gonna trust in it today. I'm gonna trust there's a leash on him. That whatever power he has, is only because I've given it to him. And so today, God, we declare that as a church, he can be gone from us. He can leave and go somewhere else with all that. We're gonna follow you. We might know you and your suffering. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.